Hello and welcome to Who's He at the Movies, and this time it's a horror film, 1970s Cry of the Banshee. never seen this film before but I stumbled across it on a movie channel which was shown in the wee hours of the morning back in December. What drew me to this film was Vincent Price, a really over the top actor who piled on the ham like he was asking for extra fillings at Subway. I always enjoyed his performances, particularly those in British horror movies of the late 60s and early 1970s. So when I saw the plot for this movie, where Price plays local magistrate Lord Edward Whitman, hunting witches in Elizabethan England with his very dysfunctional offspring, I thought, that's the very film for me. I immediately thought of Price's other witchcraft film, the classic Witchfinder General, and thought that Cry of the Banshee might be a similar film. However, I was wrong. Very wrong. While this movie has a certain charm, this is in no way in the same league as Witchfinder General. But first, a little bit of background to this movie. This film was brought to the world by American International Pictures, or sometimes known as AIP, owned by the kings of low-budget filmmaking, James H. Nicholson and Samuel Z. Arkov. They had a long and varied film distribution history, releasing stuff such as the Count Yorga films, some of the Hammer Horror films of the early 70s, and even Carry On Camping. Yes, but of course it's fairly easy to get it up. It's getting it to stay up. That's what counts. So, despite their low-budget content, they had a successful formula which they had a tight control over. And this is where the problems begin for this film. The director, Gordon Hessler, wasn't a fan of the original script and wanted to improve the witch characters, but make them more sympathetic, but AIP didn't want that, so that idea was immediately scrapped. And this led to the major problem with the film. The witches in this film are real and do place curses on people, unlike the poor unfortunates who are only accused of being witches in The Witchfinder General. So the witches actually being worshippers of Satan, these are not the guys to root for. So the audience should be rooting for Vincent Price and his band of merry witch hunters, yes? Well, unfortunately, no. Price's character of Whitman and his brood are despicable. Bullying, torturing and murdering just about everyone in the film, you just want to see them die in horrible, horrible ways. So with neither party on the side of good, it makes it a hard watch. Another issue is with Hilary Dwyer, who plays Lord Whitman's daughter, Maureen. Now, I don't have an issue with Hilary Dwyer. In fact, I thought she was rather good. And, of course, she also starred in Witchfinder General with Price. Now, it appears that the director, Gordon Hessler, was the one who had an issue with, with Dwyer, feeling that she was being forced upon him by AIP, even remarking that AIP must have thought she was star material. Not a particularly kind comment, to be honest. So, with a script and a leading actress he didn't want, Hessler tried to make a moody, atmospheric period horror movie. But unfortunately, with some very questionable filmmaking decisions and interference from AIP, what we end up with is a very mediocre and not at all scary horror movie. Now, when I say questionable filmmaking decisions, apart from the appalling treatment of women in this film, who are either busty serving wenches, victims of torture and rape, or portrayed as mad, Hesser also chose Terry Gilliam to animate the film's opening titles. Now, I love Gilliam's animations for Monty Python, I love their surreal nature and using famous painters and photos to psychedelic effect. However, Gillian would not be my first choice to design the opening titles to a horror film. 
And sure enough, what Gillian put together was straight out of Monty Python. You can view those animated titles on YouTube, but AIP certainly did not like them one bit. But rather than ditch them all together, they use a montage of stills from Gilliam's footage, which just still looks out of place for a horror movie. But I suppose this just highlights AIP's cheap production values. So, with all the shenanigans with the titles, it turns out there were two versions of this film out there. The version I saw was missing quite a bit of nudity, which, to be honest, isn't needed anyway. The other version that does contain the nudity also has the original score, which I think is better than the one AIP chose to use. Also, and don't quote me on this, I think the unedited version also restored Gilliam's animated titles. The other issue with this movie is the banshee of the film's title. In fact, there isn't really a banshee in it at all. For those of you who don't know, a banshee is a female spirit of Irish folklore that heralds the death of a family member by screaming and wailing. But the banshee in this film is a man, and he's played by Patrick Mower. But he's not really a banshee either, he's more like a werewolf and probably one of the worst-looking werewolves ever put on screen. With the mask being way too big and resembling an oversized and over-hairy coconut, it's no wonder Hessler kept it in the shadows for most of the film. Now, to be fair to Patrick Moore, who co-starred in The Devil Rides Out, perhaps the best horror film ever made, he does the best with the material he's given. A victim of the witch's coven and forced to turn into the monster of the film, and also Hilary Dwyer's love interest, Moa plays is completely straight, which in the circumstances is probably the best thing he could have done. But there are also a couple of unintentionally hilarious scenes that made me laugh out loud. In the edited version I watched, there is a cold open featuring Price and his band of merry murderers, interrupting the witch's coven who appear to be holding a very tame orgy, because, you know, Satan means sex. In an attempt to make it a bit more saucy, the female Satan worshippers are dressed in skimpy white chiffon robes, while the men are dressed in white chiffon underpants. It looks ridiculous, and they practically stand there waiting to be shot by Price's henchmen. It's so poorly put together, I burst out laughing at a load of skinny men in white pants waiting to have a net chucked over them. But the crowning glory is a fight scene that makes an old William Shatner fight scene from Star Trek look professional. There is nothing wrong with the fight choreography itself, it's the obvious stunt performers. There's little attempt to make either of the stuntmen look like the actors. The angles that the f scene is filmed at does nothing to mask the stuntmen's faces, so much so, they might as well have used the scene from another film. It's laughably bad, but to be honest, I kind of enjoy this sort of thing. However, it's not all bad. In addition to Patrick Mower, the performances are okay, and I certainly despise the Whitman family in this film, and the viewer is supposed to. They are the archetypal corrupt ruling family that always crop up in films of this genre, and the actors involved certainly give it their all. Price, however, plays this like he was filming Hamlet, as he always does. Playing to the gallery, every line he utters is overplayed, and I bloody love it. You promised us entertainment. And you shall have it. Honey's that in your hand, boy? Huh? Pipes? What's the matter? Didn't that witch of a mother of yours give you spells and charms to coax music from those heathen pipes? <laughs> hey! What about this young girl, huh? Do her feet have magic? <laughs> Dance! Play! There will never be another actor like Price, and some might be glad of that. But he was a one-off trying his best to bring some much-needed gravitas to cheesy horror flicks with his tongue firmly placed in cheek. But 
do I recommend you watch this movie? Well, yes, actually. It's not great, and if you're expecting plenty of Kensington gore and scares, you may be disappointed. It's also very much a product of its time, but I think that's the reason to watch it. Horror films like this were ten a penny in the early 70s, made on the cheap and usually trying to cash in on other film crazes at the time, such as Kung Fu or Blaxploitation, but Cry of the Banshee is a different animal altogether. It harks back to the Roger Corman AIP films of the 1960s, so it must have felt old-fashioned even in 1970. But I enjoyed the Elizabethan period setting, and spotting English character actors and trying to decide if they ever appeared in Crown Court or not is always a fun game to play. So, if you get the chance, give Cry the Band's She a watch. It's a 1970s curio, and if you're a sucker of Vincent Price and the pet packet of bacon he called acting, you might just have a good time watching a fairly bad movie. <laughs> 